It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. We kids listen when adults talk. Especially when they talk about politics. This is Sarah, Griffin's mom from the left. And Beth, Jane's mom from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to our many new listeners. We are so excited that the Pantsuit Politics community continues to grow. Uh, We wanted to, before we dive into the show about how to talk to your kids, to ask that you recommend the show to two parents you know struggling with the current political environment and how to talk to their kids about it. So um, otherwise, if you want to follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Pantsuit Politics, and we just joined Instagram, we haven't posted a ton, but we're working on it, and it's at Pantsuit Politics. And we should say that we aren't just Griffin and Jane's mom. Sarah, you want to talk about your kids? Yeah, I got I got a bunch them. of kids. So I got like a <laughs> like a gaggle of boys. I have Griffin, who is seven, who you heard at the beginning of the show. Amos, who is five, and Felix, who is one. Twenty months. And then you're twenty months. You heard my daughter Jane at the beginning of the show. She is five, and I have a daughter Ellen, who is one. So, Sarah, you want to tell us how your campaign is going? For our new listeners, Sarah is a candidate for city commission in Paducah, Kentucky, her hometown. And she has been tirelessly knocking on doors to get her campaign message out. So how's it going, Sarah? 
It's going really good. I've knocked on about 5,000 doors. We had a uh, candidate forum, and I got a lot of really great positive feedback from people about my answers, and um, I'm doing some direct mail that's getting a really positive response. You know, most of the doors I open, I knock on people, I get a lot of either I've already voted for you absentee, which is fantastic, or I've already planned to vote on you. People know me. Like, I don't get very many people who are just like, who are you? But so that's good. I did have a tough day on Saturday. I knocked on about 300 doors this weekend. And on Saturday, I haven't had but like maybe five people be rude to me. And three of them were on Saturday. This one guy told me I was not qualified. He said, I'm sorry, I'm not voting for you. And I said, do you mind me asking why? And he said, you're not qualified. And I was Did he like, give you more information about what that means? He did not. And I really wish I'd said like, well, I have a law degree and I worked at the United States Senate and I don't know what else you would like me to do to qualify myself for Paducah City Commission. But maybe, he, maybe I needed a degree in like city planning or something. I don't know. Interesting. But it's a tough one. You know, women, they say women say that to themselves more than anything. They're not qualified to run for office. So that was not a fun one to hear. I had somebody, this was my favorite. He said, I only vote top of the ticket. And I said, do you mind me asking why? And he said, because I don't care. Like real ugly too, like not nice. And I just wanted to be like, so you're going to haul your butt all the way to the polling station and just refuse to fill out the rest of the ballot. For the community where you live, I don't understand that. For the like, for the people making the decisions that arguably more closely affect your life. Cool. Then I had one that said, "Are you? A, what party do you belong to?" And I said, "It's a nonpartisan race," but I said, "I'm a Democrat." And he said, "I'm never voting for a Democrat again. I don't believe in men marrying men, and I don't believe in killing babies, so I'm not voting for you." And I was like, "Well, <laughs> I don't have any control over any of those things at City Commission, and it's a nonpartisan race." And he was like, "Don't care. I'm not voting for you." And the best part was, as I walked away, he said, "Hope you win." <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, there's some nuance in his position. I mean, people. So otherwise, though, everyone has been ridiculously nice. Every, you know, everyone I talk to is like, oh, you'll be fine. So you're going to win. You're going to do good. I'm still super nervous about it. I'm not going to stop knocking on doors anytime soon. But how many doors are there in Paducah? Because I feel like 5,000 has to be like a pretty good percentage. Yeah. I mean, I think if you know, if I'm not only knocking on the doors of people who are likely to vote. And so if I was to knock on every door, I think it's like 9,500 doors of every registered voter. So, you know, it's a little more than half of the registered voters. I mean, there's like 26,000 people in Paducah City proper. So how much do you have left to cover kind of your goal pre-election? Oh, I have like, it was 5,500 doors total that I wanted to knock on and I only have like 800 left. Good job, Sarah. That's a lot of work. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of steps. Um, meanwhile, though, I'm killing it in my Fitbit friends. Like, don't even do not friend me on Fitbit because I will slaughter you in steps. I take I took 20,000 steps yesterday and I forgot to put it on until I got home from church. Who would have thought like running for office is uh, also a component to a healthy lifestyle? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I had a bunch. Of, now, I have not experienced this dramatic weight loss that many people described. Um, and I've actually sort of jacked up my back because I have a really bad habit of walking in ballet flats which is probably arguably terrible for me. Um, But I justified a bunch of massages, so it's not all bad. I'm sorry some people have been rude to you, but I'm glad that it's such a small percentage. Yeah, it was very small. So don't let's like Hillary Clinton says, you take criticism seriously, but not personally. 
That's a good segue because we're going to briefly mention the Al Smith dinner before we move along. Uh, I thought it was funny. I thought that she killed it, that joke about... Uh, he thinks the Statue of Liberty is a four or maybe a five. Oh, wait, 45 is a great number for a woman. That was my favorite joke. I thought that was hilarious when I read it on Twitter. When I watched the dinner, so I read sort of the Twitter summary before actually watching the dinner, and all I could feel was awkward during the whole event. I mean, they're just sitting right there, man. Well, and the faces of the people right behind the podium Everyone looked just like they were holding on to their napkins, like, what is going to happen here? And it was, I thought it was pretty flat and miserable for the most part. I mean, neither Trump nor Clinton is like a great, let me come tell, let me do some comedy kind of speaker. So it would have been awkward under any circumstance, but then they both went for it in such a biting and personal way. And the tone of the campaign has obviously been uh, difficult, that yeah. it was news that they shook hands, which is pathetic. But, you know, it, it's such a weird event. My big takeaway watching the event, and I'm curious if you read it this way, it's such a reminder, much like the uh, correspondence dinner that happens every year. It's just such a reminder of how really small this world is mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. The The world between politicians, wealthy donors, media, it, it just, it's kind of uncomfortable for me in that way. Actually, you know what, this is a really, this is, goes to a point, I think, that I heard, act surprised everybody, Ezra Klein at Vox make <laughs> on his podcast. And he was talking about how, like, the elites, elite journalists, elite politicians, like, they understand the line Like, they get where the line is um, as far as, like, sort of how far you can push certain arguments. Um, You know, Mitch McConnell knows how far, and and Ezra, people like him, like, they know how far you can push sort of the birtherism thing before you're stepping over the line and how far you can sort of exploit these arguments for political gain but not lend them credence and not take them seriously. Like, he said, like, we all have our decoder rings. Like, we get it. And he's like, I think the problem is so much of them, particularly the Republican base, does not understand the line. They don't understand. Like, they t- when you say Obama is a threat to America, Obama is not American, Hillary Clinton is a criminal, they take that very seriously. And Donald Trump also does not know where the line is. And he, you know, has no sort of real understanding or respect for not exploiting these arguments or not perpetuating certain lies. And, like, so that's, like... And so if you're a, a member of the base and you take it seriously when members of Congress imply that women that Hillary Clinton is a criminal or Barack Obama's un-American and then no one else is doing there but that nobody's doing anything about it that's why you would be so furious with the elites like Paul Ryan who shockingly enough has a higher favorability among Democrats right now than um, or lower unfavorability among Democrats and Republicans right now and so I just thought that was like and you even saw it there, like, he, Donald Trump doesn't even understand the line with the elites. He got booed by the people at the Al Smith dinner. You know what I mean? Like, this sort of disregard for the line, I think, is what people are emotionally reacting to. Like, it's not like the base doesn't understand. I think that there is this elite world, but they think it's almost like, you know, they feel like those people are plotting against them. 
And, you know, I think it's so funny. I heard somebody describe sort of the traditional Republican. It was that Rolling Stone article where he says it's this weird dance of like throw throw us the bums out. You know, like it's so weird. Like you're like, but the, it, it wasn't lost on the Republican bait that Mitch McConnell was a is a, is an elite and Paul Ryan is an elite. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's this very interesting dance and sort of thing that that Donald Trump has just stomped all over. And I think that there's some good, I hope, long term to come of some of that stomping because the elite world, it's not just that the base, if we want to talk about it that way, doesn't understand the elite world. It's vice versa, too. And that's a huge part of the problem. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who took a deposition last week in a very small city in Ohio. And she was telling me that she was driving back and there weren't many options to get something to eat and she didn't want fast food. And so she went into a grocery store to pick up some bananas or something. And she said that she was flat footed at the setup of the grocery store because the produce section was tiny and the vast majority of the footprint of the grocery store was occupied by basically not food, you know, little Debbie and Doritos and whatever, you know, no disrespect to any of those products, but if it doesn't rot, it's not food, not food. And so then she walked over into the produce section and she said, I instantly understood why there was so little of it. It was three times as expensive as produce where I live, which is in a, a larger city. And we were talking about how indicative that is of sort of the divide between city dwellers and more rural places. And she was not in a place that you would describe really as a rural economy. You know, it's just a smaller city. Um, And how and, and I so I took that story with me as I was watching the Al Smith dinner and thinking about how, you know, there's so much criticism of the base. But the truth is. We really are living in two different societies, basically next door to each other. I know this isn't new or revolutionary ground. We've talked about it before. But no wonder there is a trust gap. Like when my experience of buying produce is different from someone else's based solely on where we live and where we live is so intertwined with the education that we got and the sort of life decisions that we've made. I mean, that's that is a recipe for what we're sitting in right now. Well, I mean, the only thing I would push back on is, I don't know if you saw the Dylan Matthews piece that like, it's really not as many, you know, ever, listen, the elite media loves them a Trump voter profile. They love to go haul ass to the middle of West Virginia and, you know, think that that's, we're all going to draw some greater cultural commentary from that. But he, I mean, his point was a good one, which was, it's not really people in poverty that are supporting Donald Trump. It's those people, the people, the Republic, sort of the, the base that's um, supporting Donald Trump is way higher income than you think they would be. It's sort of shocking. And it's such a small per- percentage of America that truly lives in rural. Like, I think maybe, you know, if I tell people I live in Paducah, I've had this experience. A dear friend of mine, if I say, he, knows, he, know I live, he, he knew I lived in Paducah. And when he came to visit me, he was like, oh, where are we driving through my town? And he, I was like, um, <laughs> we're in Paducah. And he was like, oh, but this is like a real city. I'm like, 
Right. You know, like the people who live in those the towns they profile in those profiles, it's only like seven. I looked it up. It's only like seven percent of the population that truly lives in rural. You know, most people, a lot of the population either is concentrated in big cities or like Paducah's described as a micropolitan. So we're a town. We have resources, but, we're, you know, we are surrounded by a lot of rural land. Right. That's the kind of place I'm describing with the the grocery store event. Yeah. You know, it's not agri- it's not an agricultural place. Right. No. It's it's a small city. Yeah. But I don't have every I mean, every grocery store in Paducah has a huge produce department with reasonably priced produce. You know what I mean? Like now if you drove if you drove out into the way far out into some of the surrounding counties, you might encounter something similar. But, you know, I, I don't I would be intrigued sort of I used to really think this rural urban divide was really the key to everything. But I think that's a false dichotomy. I think there's a huge swath of America that exists in sort of a broader area or sort of the gray in between those two places. You know, our only choices aren't either Cincinnati or rural West Virginia. Like there's just this whole huge amount of people who live in sort of the in-between, like sort of suburban. Like I think people would think of C. Paducah as like very suburban. And so I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think that it's, I don't know if the, I think the rural urban divide is a huge part of it, but I don't know if it's the entirety of it. And I don't think you're arguing that either. So. Yeah. I'm, I definitely don't think that, that it's like you have one life or the other, but what I think is that there is a continuum, but the disconnect, even from your life, my life in the suburbs of Cincinnati and the Al Smith dinner is so enormous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it does make people think very differently. Uh, I tweeted just a little bit before we started recording, Nick Confessori has kind of a little Twitter essay on the WikiLeaks exposure of Hillary Clinton's emails in part shows how people's attitudes about what journalism is are so all over the map because some people see any contact between journalists and a campaign as inherently corrupt when actually like good reporting is that you contact a campaign constantly to ask questions, to get more information, to understand context. But we're at such a distrustful place with media right now that any kind of link seems problematic. And I think that gets back to the discussion that we've been having on sort of an ongoing basis about how much transparency is needed in the process of restoring some trust between people and institutions. But as I think about that sort of grocery store as a metaphor for the space between the elite culture and the non-elite culture, uh, it makes me feel that a huge amount of transparency is going to be required to get us from point A to point B. Well, and I just think I've had so many discussions over the last few days. It's so frustrating. This American Life just did a great podcast and Ira Glass described it as the post-fact political environment where truly when I have a conversation with a family member who is a Trump supporter, we are not disagreeing on policy. We aren't even disagreeing on political philosophy. We are disagreeing about the reality of the world in which, like, we are disagreeing about facts. Yes. And that is so, like, I don't, I don't even know how transparency fixes something like that. You know, it's not, 
for so much of the the Republican base that I think Donald Trump appeals to, and I think it goes back to this like elite understanding of where the line is, like just the the amount of conspiracy theories and I, I like I, ha, I I I texted my dad about one of those articles about the awful sort of alt-right responses to many Jewish journalists, including conservative Jewish journalists. And he, his response was, well, why should we believe them? You know, but not anything people say about Clinton. And I'm like, wait, what? I'm so confused by that argument. These are people reporting their experiences with, I don't, (laughs) I don't even know what to say to that. You know, like if we can't all agree, the sky is blue. How are we going to talk about what kind of roof to build? Like, I don't, it's tough, man. It's tough out there right now. Well, and look, it's not just on the Republican side. The The interesting thing going forward for Hillary Clinton, I think, after this election is over, is the fact that right now you have unity and consensus around her, largely because of who her opponent is on the Democratic side, right? I mean, you had a very fractured Democratic primary that has been left in the dust of the general election awfulness. Once she's in office, I mean, there's going to be, she's in a really tough spot because she can either govern as sort of the centrist that she is now sort of trying to build herself as, and certainly what her history would indicate that she is comfortable with compromise, um, or, and if she does that, I think she's going to get attacked from both the left and the right. And she's guaranteed to get attacked from the right because that's all the Republican Party seems to know how to do. And then I think that the Bernie Sanders wing of the party who has counted on her to adopt, you know, more far left liberal policies are going to have that expectation of her. So she's stuck in a between a rock and a hard place, right? Because if she goes really far left with that wing of the party, midterms and 2020 start to look really difficult for her. So, I mean, I think that there is much more of a gap between the base of the Democratic Party and the Democratic Party's nominee than maybe we've been led to discuss in this cycle because of Donald Trump's constant um, black hole for journalism. Um, but, But, you know, both parties have this fracture And that's something that we have to be able to talk about and we have to be able to agree on some facts around in order to start bringing people together more. So your point about it being post-fact, I think, is critical for both parties. So before we move on to how to talk about politics with our children, we'll compliment the other side. So I'm going to compliment, I don't it's not really a specific person, but I have had like four or five insanely respectful and nuanced conversations about abortion over the last week since it came up in the debate with like several close friends of mine. I had a couple of them on Facebook and it just, it just sort of restored my faith in humanity. I mean, like there are conversations in which both of us felt very differently. Um, Nobody's mind got changed, but everybody was like, okay, I'm willing to listen to your perspective on that. Okay, that's great. I understand your perspective. It doesn't necessarily change my opinion, but that was a great respectful exchange we had about abortion. I mean, come on. That can't restore your faith in humanity. I don't know what can. That's big. It's big. I have a similarly nonspecific compliment today. I, over the weekend, kind of publicized my support for Evan McMullen. It's been a long journey for me getting there, but 
as I started to really binge on information about his candidacy, I actually felt energized for the first time in a while with this whole campaign because I feel really good about the fact that coming out of this, there is someone carrying the torch for the ideas that I think are important and doing it in a way that I feel proud of. So I wrote a blog post about my support for Evan McMullen and sort of braced myself for a barrage of criticism, particularly from people supporting Hillary Clinton, because they think, you know, a vote for someone besides Hillary Clinton is a vote for Donald Trump. And I received none of that. And several of our listeners who are prolific on Twitter along with me were were actually quite warm about it and said how happy they were that I found a candidate that I could support enthusiastically in this cycle. And I think that really speaks well of our community and the people in it. And I just I really appreciated that reaction. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. 
and you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. I um, don't talk about politics with all three of mine. Obviously, the 20-month-old does not talk, which is super frustrating. Um, the five-year-old Amos, like, he sort of pays attention. He has a really adorable shtick where if you ask him, what do we say to Donald Trump, he goes, get out of here, Trump. Um, but other than that, that's sort of the um, extent of his participation. However, Griffin, who is seven and in second grade, is super interested in politics and paying attention and interested. Yeah, so Jane is five, so her understanding is fairly superficial, but she is very, very inquisitive and curious. She misses nothing. She watches the news with me. We talk about everything that we encounter together, and Jane is very verbal, so uh, she can she can definitely form and express opinions even at this age. So um, Griffin... You know, my my approach generally and my experience with him has been that he um, is a little sponge. He pays very close attention to everything that we talk about. My family has um, family dinner every Sunday night at my house, and it is my mother, my stepfather, and my grandmother. And we very often talk about politics and social issues in an open way. Um, and Griffin will ask, what about this? What about that? He, you know, sort of picked up on the that we have parties in um kindergarten and he asked what my father my stepfather is a republican so he knows that ron is the only republican at the table (laughs) everybody else is democrats uh like he gets that and you know i think because i'm running too it adds this whole other layer of um sort of personalizing the politics of the situation and um i think that for me i i try to um, I guess I approach politics the way I sort of approached conversations about sex with my kids, which is I just take them as they come and I'm honest. I am not the person who panics and says, I don't know, what do you think about that? I will happily just answer the question and tell them um, what I think or what I feel about that issue. And I'd rather just take it sort of as a trickle than like a flood when they're 13. So um, when... I can just give you an an example. My Griffin, my second grader, came home this summer from uh, like mommy's dad, which is a church. And he said, some people on the bus said that Hillary Clinton wants to kill babies. No, Hillary Clinton wants to take a pill and kill babies. And I said, well, and Nicholas and I both simultaneously went sort of. And he goes, she wants to do that? She's pregnant and she wants to take a pill. And I'm like, um, no, Hillary Clinton is far past her childbearing prime. No, and I said, but, you know, Hillary Clinton believes, like I do, that if you are pregnant and you don't want to be pregnant anymore, that you should be able to take a pill and end the, end the pregnancy. And he said, um, okay, well, that makes sense. You know, it's better than not being able to take care of a baby or killing it after it already comes out. And then we moved on and then he never brought it up again. So I think it's just sort of, I think you turn it into a bigger thing when you make it a big thing instead of just being like, yep, no, maybe, I don't know. So that's sort of our approach. I also feel like my political values are just that. They're my values and I teach my children my values about everything else. So there's, 
I don't see them sort of as any reason not to talk about them. I remember him being, he was like definitely verbal enough when the Supreme Court decision came down and I was just crying and crying. (laughs) He sort of asked me like, why are you crying? And I said, well, I just did kissing. I was like, you know, some people, boys want to marry boys and now they can. And I think that's really important. And so I just kind of, I just kind of take it as it comes. That's sort of my general approach. I do the same. If something is on television, Jane has a question. We talk about it. We don't have like in-depth, lengthy, let me sit you down and explain something to you kind of moments. It's just as it comes. What I try to do with Jane, and this touches on when I publicized that we were going to talk about this, a, a number of listeners said, you know, how do you, one, really teach your kids about civics and sort of the process? And two, how do you avoid having them be just parrots of your own opinion? And I think that there is a tough line between instilling things as a matter of values and sort of the parroting of of your own opinion. And and I think that's something we should talk about. But I do encourage Jane to have her own opinion and to really understand what's happening. So we talked a lot about what the primaries meant. We're not choosing a president. We talked about the two parties in the primaries with her as teams, and each team has to pick someone to run for president, right? And so our team mommy and daddy picked this team and you choose which team you're going to be on and and that can change over your life. And someday, Jane, you'll pick your team. Um, And that's that's where you get to vote. And and then we talked about the fact that some people don't pick teams and they wait until the general election to vote. (laughs) So we try to give her as much information about the process as possible. We have been discussing a lot lately kind of what the two parties are and Because Jane is enthusiastic, as people who've listened with us for a long time know, about Hillary Clinton. So Jane's feeling is that there hasn't been a girl president and there needs to be one. And so she supports Hillary Clinton. So talk about not parroting your parents' views. Jane is 100% independent thought on this. Jane Um, and I had a fantastic conversation about Hillary Clinton. Yes, Jane Jane is on board. So much so that we were at a Rand Paul event this weekend and... Not Rand Paul, but someone there, one of our state senators, mentioned Donald Trump, and Jane put both of her hands up with thumbs downs to (laughs) um, indicate her disapproval. So then we had a discussion about respecting other people with whom we disagree. But um, we were talking about the two different parties and how do you really get to the difference between the two parties without disparaging either one? So, So my metaphor for her is to think about sort of politics and policy as a puzzle. And Republicans tend to think more about each individual piece of the puzzle and that each piece is different and has a different place on the board and should be able to pretty much decide what it wants to be as a piece for itself. And that Democrats tend to think about the whole puzzle. And if we're going to do something, it should put the whole puzzle uh, together for that. And I think the what I liked about that metaphor is that it makes you realize that both are important, right? You need to be able to consider both the piece and the picture that you're trying to create. And so that's the approach that I take on any issue to saying to Jane, like, here's this perspective. This is where mommy and daddy fall. Here's what other people think. And ultimately, we think both are important. And you'll have to figure out where you land on these things. We have a um, really great guy in our community named Jason Lindsay, 
um, who does this hooked on science. He also does the, uh, he's a meteorologist on our local station. And when he does the kids, I noticed this the other day when he did a library program, he says over and over again, like, we all don't have to agree. Wouldn't the world be a boring place if we all felt the same way about everything? And he just talk. he kind of says it over and over again until I, by the end I was like, yeah, he's really right. Like he was like really had me sort of, and Jason and I know, I know, and I don't know a lot about his politics, but I think I know enough to think we probably disagree on some things. And so, but I just love the way he put that to the kids. Like it, cause kids, it just, I think it's in sort of intrinsic. They want to belong. They want everybody to agree. They sort of have a, you know, they do clubs and cliques and like, it's sort of, they want it, it seems, and I'm sure it's developmental. Like they have this sort of urge to put everybody into categories and sort the world out. And he really does a good job of just repeating over and over again. Like, there's no need for that. Like, we don't have to do that. We can all be different. It's okay. We're not trying to, you know, it's enough. Adults don't realize like, I, we don't have to convince each other. We don't have to feel the same way. But I think, you know, I was listening to this fantastic, fantastic podcast that was um, recommended on a Facebook group that uh, Beth and I are going to talk about. Um, in the pearls that we recently discovered um, and it's a it's a podcast about y'all act surprised it's about um, the Enneagram which I love it's called the road back to you and they did this interview with Michael Ware who is um, Obama's like faith outreach guy and he talked about politics and personality and he said you know politics is become so wrapped up and Ira Glass made the same point in his sort of post-fact political world politics has become so wrapped up in our identity and we sort of you know if you're looking to politics to sort of justify your inner life you're going to be disappointed like it's really you're placing too much pressure on the politicians themselves and politics in general to sort of be the the you know exercising of all your political values and identity and who you are and I thought that was so good and I think you know that's something I hope that I convey to my kids like I'm a proud democrat I talk about it but I hope that they get and maybe I should talk about this more that like this isn't where you know this isn't the entirety of who you are this is not the space in which you should find the exercising for everything that's important to you as a person you know um, something can be very, very important to you and you value it highly and it might not align perfectly with the party values. Like, that's okay. That's cool. Like, find another way to exercise that or figure out if it's it's too important to you or it's not that important to you. No, but I, I think that this idea of, like, not getting it so wrapped up in, in your identity, even though I'm a person who um, highly identifies as a member of my party, but also I'm a person who switched political views one I did a 180 in college and so maybe you know and I would I tell my boys that and I hope to talk about them more as they as that as they get older like I didn't always feel like this and I changed my opinions on things and um I mean I guess for me with regards to the particularly my party I think what what I've pushed on them at a young age because I think it's important and I think they get it is we just talk a lot about inclusion and we talk about a lot of we want everybody at the table. It's important for everybody to be represented. And I have to be really careful. I talk a lot about um, I want girls at the table and I have to, you know, I think I've had Griffin say a couple times, but like, but you're not like you're you're not mad if boys are at the table or you don't want boys to not be able to participate. And I'm like, well, clearly not. I have three little boys, but you know, I think that it's important that everybody with different perspectives be sitting there and offering solutions. And so we talk about that a lot. Um, 
But we talk about that outside political realms too. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of, there's just this amorphous relationship between all these different pieces of that political party puzzle. Well, I think there's the the wonderful thing about talking to your kids about politics is that it does remind you that nothing is inherently evil. Like we bring a lot of baggage to our political discussions as adults that when you break it down to what it is for children, you lose a lot of that baggage. Describing the differences in the parties, describing the process. We had a discussion before we went to see Rand Paul speak this weekend about what is a senator. And so we talked about look, the president is a lot like the principal of your school. You know, the principal's there to make sure the teachers have what they need. Sometimes the students listen to the principal talk about important things, the principals who a lot of people think of when they think about your school. The senators and the representatives are more like your teachers. They're making the rules for your classrooms, and they're making sure that the principal knows about things that are important to you. And, you know, so we we talk about these things, and it's hard to be so mad at Washington when you're talking about what it really is and what, you know, how how a child can understand it is in a lot of ways maybe more accurate than the way we understand it as adults. Well, and I also don't have a lot of, I mean, I, I think that, I think my perceptions of this are colored by a couple things. One, I don't um, have a lot of I guess partly because of the way I was raised there was I never felt like there was anything my mother was sort of protecting me from or that I couldn't ask questions about and so I just sort of you know I had a therapist tell me once that children handle things to their like sort of capability so I don't really ever worried about like sort of traumatizing my children with a political conversation or exposing them to a new story my one because my eldest in particular is not really super sensitive and two I just kind of feel like Kids just roll right past things they're not ready to deal with. You know what I mean? Like if you if you just if you tackle something, and you're like, Eek, d- could they handle that? They just literally like keep driving. Like they're like, oh, I can't process that. Keep on moving along. Like now, I'm not talking about obviously you know abuse or anything like that, but like little literally like conversations or stories or news articles. I've noticed this with Griffin. He just kind of okay. Well, I'll just keep going. Like he just sort of processes it to his capability, spits it out, and then moves on. He's not, like, fretting about it. You know, like, that's just not – now, that's my kid, and maybe Amos would be different or Felix would be different, but that's definitely how he is. And, two, I just – I try to keep everything – I feel like when I react out of sort of, like, fear or concern that it's too much for him, he picks up on that. So I just kind of stay baseline, like, yeah, whatever. You're like, well, just – this is not a big deal. We could talk about it. Um, and my default is always to talk about it, um, there's a really great book called Nurture Shock by Poe Bronson and the woman, and I can't remember the female author's name, but, um, and they have a really great chapter about race and how we think children are race neutral and we think everybody's colorblind. If we just don't bring it up, they won't notice, but uh, they totally notice. And if you don't fill in the blanks, they fill them in by themselves. And so I guess that's, that, that sort of approach is my general approach to parenting. Like I'm not trying to let the seven-year-old fill in the blanks. Um, that's kind of what I feel like my job is and sort of the best part about being a parent is I get to like fill in the blanks and be like hey by the way this is what I think about this um and so I really don't ever I don't have a fear about him parroting my because again my I feel like my politics are my values so I want him to parent the values until he either 
you know, sort of internalizes them or realizes that maybe his values are different and that's fine. Um, because what I also tell my kids over and over again, is like, there's nothing they could do or say to me that would stop me from loving them. Like I'm going to love them no matter what I suppose I make jokes that I wouldn't allow any Alex P kittens in my home, but I suppose if faced with that scenario, I would love them just the same. I try to really celebrate Jane's independent thought, you know, even though it bothers my husband enormously that (laughs) she is a Hillary Clinton supporter. I try to say, I'm so glad. I try to say, I'm so glad that you have a thought about this, Jane. That's important. You should keep thinking about it. And to your point, I don't think that Jane is going to remember sort of all the metaphors that I put in front of her about civics or politics. I do think she adopts especially as time goes on, I see her adopting more the tenor of the discussion that I bring to it. How serious am I about it? How important do I think this is? I think she picks up on the fact that it's important to me. I'm not really emotional about it because that's not really my style, but it's important to me. And she knows that, right? And she knows that I have supported lots of different people in the course of the primaries and now in the general election. You know, she knows that we liked Jeb Bush and then we moved on to John Kasich because not enough people voted for Jeb Bush, right? And then and then we voted for John Kasich, but our team didn't. And so we can't vote for John Kasich again. And now she knows that we that Donald Trump is who our team picked, but we don't pick him because we don't think he's kind and we don't think he's respectful to people. And that's and she says that. So she does parrot some of that. And we have to be careful about it. But I feel like he gives us evidence every day that she can see for herself. I mean, she hears some of what he says and and it's not kind. And she knows that at five. And so, you know, that's that's sort of how we talk about it. We've told her that we have concerns about Hillary Clinton telling the truth. And I've said to her, it's complicated. And those are things that you have to figure out. And, you know, she says, well, that's fine. I still think it should be a girl. And I say, OK, that's valid. Oh, and agree, and Jane. that's just, just kind of hardly agree with Jane. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. 
That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. That's sort of how we approach things. She was with me when I watched Gary Johnson's Aleppo interview, and I had just said to her, you know, this is who mommy and daddy are thinking about voting for. And then he couldn't answer the question. And I said, Jane, do you know what happened? And she said, not really. And I said, he just couldn't answer a very important question. And we think now I'm thinking that maybe he doesn't know enough to be able to do this job. So I need to find someone else. I mean, so she it's less important to me that she gets hung up on this election or any particular candidate or even Rand Paul, who we're very enthusiastic about or, you know, any one thing. And what I want her to understand more is we take it seriously. We learn as much as we can about all of it. We try to really understand what's going on and then we vote. And and I'm sure it goes without saying, but, you know, we take her with us every time we vote because we want her to experience that. And I think that's I think that's a good and important way to go through the process. One question that we got that I want to make sure we cover before we leave, someone asked about explaining like the electoral college to kids. And I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, Sarah. Since Jane is five, you know, my lens and my metaphor for everything around this is very, you know, young child oriented. But for the electoral college, Jane loves her counting animals. She's got this big bin of like different color farm animals that we use to do math problems. And she loves them and they're easy to sort. And so I've been thinking, because I know this is coming up for us with the electoral college, you know, I'm just going to make little groups of the animals and show her if all these animals were voting and the, you know, the sheep went this way and the ducks went that way. And here are the numbers. Um, That's the popular vote. But then look at how the animals live in little groups. Don't, Don't you think that if two of three sheep vote one way, that's different than 70 of 100 sheep voting another way. And so we weight them a little differently. And I I hope that works as a way to talk with her about it. But I do find that 
being very visual and concrete and using objects that are just neutral, you know, things that she likes and trying to meet her on her terms to answer those questions has worked for us so far. There's got to be a good, like, let's ask our listeners to chime in and post on our Facebook and Twitter page. There's got to be a good, like, cartoon out there explaining that. I'm sure there is. And, and a lot of people like books. I'll tell you that I, I'm not good at recommending books to people. Jane and I read constantly. We love books. This subject is so kind of personal and important to me. And because we do sort of take it as it comes, like you were talking about, Sarah, on the fly, I haven't spent a lot of time researching books that would help her understand these things. Because I I do like that it comes from me and I like that it comes up at at the flash moments that she's interested. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't have any really good books, though, to recommend either, unfortunately. Yeah, it's just not the way that we've tackled this subject. And and look, on on all of these things, as you talked about, like the values that go, that underlie the way we talk about this, we bring those up in everything. I mean, independent thought is something that I encourage with, I mean, most questions she asks us, I do turn around and say, what do you think? Not because I don't want to answer it, but because I want her to answer where she can uninfluenced by me. Well, also, right? sometimes you qu- clarify the question. Right. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you say, what do you think? And they answer and you go, oh, yeah, that's definitely not what I thought you were asking me. Right. Right. And even where she says something, like if she asks just a question about how something works and I say, what do you think? And she makes up something that's just factually totally wrong. I'll say something like, oh, I wish it did work that way. That's a lot of fun. It's actually this, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we just kind of because I want her to understand that. The way she thinks about things is important and the way she articulates them is understood and valuable. Yeah. It's so interesting, too. I think that with kids, yeah, it it is hard, though. It's really hard to not just jump in and say, oh, this is how it is and this is what I think and this is the right answer. It is hard not to do that. I feel like the the it's almost a game for me. Some I often think that parenting is like a big game of taboo. You know, let me describe this in a different way than the way I really would describe it by default. Yeah. Um Jane was in the car with us and there was something on the radio before we turned over to, you know, Kids Bop Radio about taxes and she asked us what are taxes and Chad and I kind of looked at each other like well this is a hard one but then it wasn't you know I just said well hey taxes are things that we pay because some things we have to all buy together like mommy and daddy can't buy this road so we all buy the road together and so we give our money you know we have to pay our money and they put all our money together and we buy the road and she was like well all right and she you know and we kind of moved on and 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 we didn't need to that's the other thing like we don't need to ascribe to taxes all of our partisan baggage about tax policy right we can just explain what taxes are and then later we'll have the discussion of how much should people pay and what do we need this money for and do we use it appropriately like those are all different questions and again that's what i love about talking politics with jane it really lets you kind of one test your own understanding of things because if you don't understand it you can't explain it very well to your child and two really break things down to the point where you kind of get to think about what do i really believe and why and i don't know i think it's kind of fun 
Yeah, I mean, I enjoy it. But again, I'm, you know, I think that we might uh, be the exception, seeing as how we both sit down and discuss something with someone who disagrees with us, which sends most people into sort of anxiety and hives. And it's the same with kids. I mean, if you run from any sort of confrontation or difficult conversation with other people about politics, it's not surprising that you would also do it. Well, how appropriate. I just had a baby busted on me. (laughs) Hi, Felix. Um, so it wouldn't be surprising that you would do that with other people as too. So I, I, I would encourage everyone to just engage. It'll be okay having a little confrontation with your kids or not confrontation, but sort of a difficult conversation with your kids. Um, doesn't always have to be fraught if you don't, if you approach it in a lighthearted way that maybe you'll learn something about yourself and something about your kids. Well, and I think that our experience doing this podcast has taught me that it gets easier every single time. And you just have to come in with without any weird expectations. Like, I don't feel reduced because we don't hang up from every one of our conversations with you saying, oh, I totally agree with Beth now. Yep. Like, that's not I'm why I'm coming to the table, you know? <laughs> well, it's like that article, the go the in the New York Times that I've been fawning about, go Midwest young hipster about, Democrats need to move back to whence they came. The idea that, like, well, people want to live around people that feel the same way as they do. And I just wanted to be like, why? It's so boring. Like, it's so much fun to live around people who are different than you and to engage, and including if those people are your own kids. Like, to engage and think through, and why do I feel this way? And is it okay if maybe I'm wrong? And, like, being surprised by people and by my own beliefs is... My favorite, favorite experience, and I highly, I highly encourage it. Well, that's kind of a good segue to the heels, where we're going to talk about a space that a number of people who listen to Pantsuit Politics have created on Facebook for those discussions. So many of you might have found our podcast from um, Ann Bogle's What Should I Read Next? What Should You Read Next? Excuse me. And um, Ann found, um, was a part of a a group that was based on a really fantastic podcast called Sort of Crunchy. No, Sort of Awesome, excuse me. And um, then sort of from that Facebook group became another group that is really just built up around the idea around pantsy politics, which is respectful, nuanced conversations about politics. And has so we sort of both stumbled into it, and it has just been marvelous. It's a really lovely group of people. It really is. And it was, I appreciate that they opened their virtual doors to the two of us because I always feel a little bit like, voyeuristic or something watching these conversations <laughs> happening like am I supposed to be here but it is really neat to see the way people are talking with each other about about issues and other resources that they're looking at as they kind of make their way through this cycle so it's a it's a neat group of people and I just again just really appreciate how gracious they've been with the two of us and again just continuing our conversation because I know a lot of you out there are still concerned with self-care I cannot recommend you know there is a space to have difficult conversations but there is also a space to find people who you can just say man I had the worst exchange with a coworker that left me depleted and upset 
And there is much to be said for uh, finding a safe space to sort of um, unload and be encouraged and be reminded that um, it always doesn't have to be so hard. I like to see how people are attracted to different mediums, too, because as we've talked about a little bit on the show, you know, you like Facebook a lot more, I think, and I like Twitter a lot more. And it's fun to see kind of where our listeners break down, too. And, you know, a lot of people use all kinds of social media channels, and we both do to an extent as well. But I think it's fun to see you know, there's a way to have these discussions on just about any vehicle. You just have to attract enough people interested in that to make it happen. And it's been fun to watch. So for anybody else out there who is new to our show, you can go to pantsuitpoliticsshow.com and see our show archives. Dante just put up a great um, blog about our sort of evergreen episodes, episodes that are not necessarily tightly tied to the events of the day, but um, you can listen to it anytime if you want sort of a little introduction, a deeper introduction to our show. Or you can just binge all the episodes, which a lot of people have been doing, and we're cool with that too. Um, you can also get Pantsuit Politics Show t-shirts. And if you want to become a supporter of the show, there's a way to subscribe and um, help us with the cost of the show. And you can check out our blog as well, as well, where we both post occasionally and a number of our listeners write. Dante writes there, too. If you're new to our show, we're talking about Dante Lima, who is our chief creative officer who helps us out with the show. And we will be back with you on Friday for the Friday feedback and other matters. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. <laughs>